All right, everyone. Well, we're going to be carrying on in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 12. If not, you can read along behind us. Matthew chapter 12. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and one of the things to know about it is that in many ways it's kind of like a, a discipleship manual. How do you follow Jesus? How do you become one of his disciples? What does that look like? Matthew's gospel begins to outline what it would look like to become a disciple or how to even make disciples. And so uh, we can read it with that lens as we go through it. And so this is what Matthew 12 says. And just a quick background, one of the things that we know is last week, passage right before that is Jesus' invitation to come to him and find rest. So here, here is what we're reading in Matthew 12, verses 1 and through 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from the place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched, out, stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just the sound as the other. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus. You are the God of rest. You renew the strength of those who wait on you. You are never weary, never tired. You alone have the words of life. You are the living waters that fill the dry and weary land that is our lives and our world with new life and power. And Jesus, your son, is the one who shows us what you're like. You're the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of rest. And you made it to be a gift for us. Help us this morning to quiet our minds, to hear from you and embrace and experience the rest that Jesus came to bring. Amen. This morning, our big idea is that Jesus is our source and giver of rest. Our source and giver of true rest. Jesus has just invited anyone who is tired, weary, burnt out, exhausted from the pain and burdens and disappointments of life to come to him. Come to me and I will give you rest. Literally, I will rest you. In the Greek, learn from me because I am gentle and lowly in heart. I won't lay anything ill-fitting on you. But the question you and I have to ask ourselves as Jesus says that, is like, okay, 
What is that rest that Jesus is offering like? What does it look like? So we're presented with this invitation from Jesus to come to him, and immediately following, Jesus ties together these three stories related to Jesus and this idea of Sabbath. In fact, in the space of these 12 verses or 13 verses, Sabbath will come up eight times. And Jesus will call himself the Lord of Sabbath. So we need to ask, what is Sabbath? Because we can't all assume that we know what that is. What is Sabbath? Well, the first time we see the word Sabbath in the Bible is found in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. And it's in the context of God having just brought Israel out of slavery, from the yoke of slavery to the Egyptians. And Israel doesn't really know God very well. You have this entire community of people who are learning what he is like. He is their new Lord, their master, and he is not like Pharaoh. And he's making that clear to them with this covenant, this relationship that he will have with them, this commitment he makes to them, and a commitment they're going to make to him. And in that, there's these Ten Commandments. And he gives them about how they're going to relate to him, and also how they will relate to one another. And so the Ten Commandments, if you don't know them, it starts with the Lord saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, brought you out of the land of slavery. And then he'll list a few commands, and one of the commands he has in Exodus 20, verse 8 and 10, is about the Sabbath. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God or dedicated to the Lord, or devoted to the Lord. This means that there was this one day of the week that was committed to him. This is the only commandment that we see in the Ten Commandments that actually includes an explanation. Why should they Sabbath? Well, we're told in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God bases his decision on why the Israelites need to rest on what he does in creation, what we see in the Genesis creation account. Now I want to highlight uh, two things there. Sabbath is blessed, we're told, and it's holy. God actually blesses three things in the Genesis account. He blesses animals after he makes them, he blesses humans, and he blesses Sabbath. And one of them is not like the others. Animals, yep, okay, sure. Humans, sure, yep. But a day? A day is blessed? Why is a day blessed? Because Sabbath has this life-giving capacity to procreate, to fill the world with more. Sabbath is how we fill our souls back up with life. And it's not just hyper-rhetoric. There was a study that was done on the happiest people on earth by a doctor. And near the top were uh, Seventh-day Adventists who take Sabbath literally. They tended to live 10 years longer than their average American counterparts. And if you do the math and you practice Sabbath every seven days, it'll add up to about 10 years. Sabbath is this life-giving thing. Now, some of you already love to have something like a Sabbath, and some of us don't. The Sabbath is also called holy. Why is it called holy? Well, the word that we read as rested, that the word rested in Hebrew is this nuach. And it means to take up residence. God rested means God entered in and took up residence in the world he created. It means he entered into the purpose for which he created the world. 
He created the cosmos and everything in it. And when he did, it was whole. This whole complex system of life was whole. And his rest was not because he was fatigued by what he had just done. It was in order to actually enter into it, to settle into his creation, to delight or enjoy in what he made. On this day specifically, he rested into that wholeness. Now think about that statement. He rested. Back then, and even today, in many parts of the world, you have to go to a specific location to encounter what's holy. To encounter God, the divine. You had to go to a place. To be in this place of holiness, you had to go to a temple, or to Jerusalem, to Mecca, to Stonehenge, to Chichen Itza, different places, depending on your worldview. But right here... The very first few pages of the Bible, the very beginning of creation, God chooses a day where you can stop and rest in his presence and experience him. God, when he rescues Israel out of slavery, he says, look, I rested and you will rest. And to us who are used to uh, Saturday, Sunday, that's like, what's the big deal about one day? But at that time, for someone to rest on one day consistently, that wasn't normal. And God's trying to teach him, you guys aren't slaves anymore. You're my people. You're going to live differently. And you're actually going to live your lives patterned by the one who created you and knows you best. So what's Sabbath? Sabbath is this 24-hour time period that's characterized by four things. Stopping, delighting, resting, and worshiping. These four facets, they overlap each other. Let me look at this first one, stopping. Our word for Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally means to stop. We cease from working, all thinking about working, all worrying, all wanting. In this sense, uh, Sabbath is literally turning off that nagging thing in your mind that there's more to do. It's that time to say, no, I'm done for now. I'm stopping. It's this act of resistance from working. This is turning it all off. So what are the things you feel you need to stop doing for one day? Work, worries, wants. Secondly, Sabbath is resting. It's not just stopping, it's resting. Sabbath includes this rest that we need for our souls, our whole person. We settle ourselves on this day. We embrace our human frailty, and we enter into the purpose for which we were created, to know God and be known by Him. We physically rest, we get sleep mentally and emotionally, we calm down, we relax, we process the week. We cease from our striving and we rest in God's love for us. Resting can look different for us. If you work with your hands all week, perhaps resting is not doing anything physically demanding, but actually just engaging in a good book, going for a walk. If you're with people all week and you pour out socially, perhaps resting for you is actually quite different. It means some time of solitude and silence. Rest can be done in community, with your roommates, with your family. Mark Buchanan says, Cease from what is necessary and embrace what gives life. That it is to lay hold of whatever you've put off and pushed away through lack of time, lack of room, lack of breath. It is a day to... Shuck the have-tos and lay hold of the get-tos. And just book the rest of God. But Sabbath is also associated with delight, with enjoyment. Sabbath falls 
happen to be the light in the world, in our lives, and most importantly, in Him. Eugene Peterson called this day uh, a day of uh, setting aside a day to pray and to play. And in Isaiah 58, God calls His people. He says, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. Sabbath is the day we indulge our souls with activities that spark joy, wonder, gratitude, and happiness, such as eating good food, walking in nature, spending time with your family or friends, listening to good music, playing games, making love to your spouse, or just having fun in the presence of God. So one question for you might be like, what brings easy delight? But fourth, and importantly, Sabbath is worship. On this day, we index our heart towards this grateful praise and adoration of God. We surrender our lives to him one week at a time. This can include singing like we've just done this morning. That's one way we worship, but that's not all worship is. Worship is our lives. And so we can worship him in response to who he is and what he's done by giving him attention through reading scripture, in prayer, in silence, journaling and reflecting on his goodness. And see, here's the thing that we need to know. The Pharisees, they are asking Jesus, why are these guys doing this on that day? They're not genuinely actually concerned about that. They have already rejected who Jesus is and what he claims to do. And what they are focusing as they confront Jesus and his disciples on this Sabbath day is this one little narrow focus on stopping. Hey, they're doing something. They're walking through grain fields and feeding themselves. Because their understanding of Sabbath was so narrow that it's like, you cannot do any work. We can't even get remotely close to work so as not to sin. But they've lost the whole sight of what the gift of Sabbath was supposed to be. And what Jesus is showing us is that Sabbath is changing because he has arrived. That's something greater than the temple is here. You can't have this real rest apart from coming to him. Anyone who is weary, heavy laden, exhausted, burned out on religion can come to him and he will give them rest. That's the promise he makes in Matthew 11. And what's the first thing Jesus does right after that? Because it's really similar to Genesis 1. Right after he makes that invitation to come and follow him, to learn from him, because he'll give them rest. His yoke is easy, his burden's light. What does he say? Let's go do some work now? Let's go conquer this mountain? No, he says, okay, Sabbath is beginning. Let's go rest. Let's go walk through this grain field together. You're going to Sabbath with me. You're going to rest with me. We start by resting. It's the same thing when you look at the creation account. You look at how God creates. God creates humanity, and then... It's a day of rest. We don't start from a place of work, from, but from a place of resting, from what he's already done and who he is. And this is why some of us, if we don't come to him and we try to stop and rest, we could take a two-week vacation, we can have tons of weekends away, but we come back and we still feel exhausted. We feel so tired. Even though you'll say, it was a great thing, I loved it. But you don't feel rested. You don't feel like you have more to give. You actually feel like you have less to give. It feels like it wasn't enough. So you're like, maybe I could take another weekend away. Maybe I could take another week off. Maybe that'll fix it. 
We were made to rest with him. And the Pharisees, what they failed to see, this whole point was dwelling in and encountering the mercy of God. That God is merciful. That he is gracious and kind. That he is patient. That he waits to be gracious to us. Because when you rest in God's presence, you will experience his mercy. And in that place, you cannot help but extend mercy. And these Pharisees, they cannot extend mercy because they had not been willing to receive it from God. They're so focused on this, uh, how this looks and not what it is that they're like, look, look what they're doing. They're not resting. Jesus begins to point to these different moments that they would be aware of in the scriptures, in their history, of when David does this in the temple, when, when the priests are working on the Sabbath, but they're not in the wrong. He's like, you guys know of these examples, and you would justify them and say it's okay. Why? Because they're serving the Lord. But, but what? I want you to know something greater than the temple is among you. What could possibly be greater than the temple? God himself. God himself, the very presence of God among them. They missed the love and fellowship of God that Sabbath offered. And Jesus is saying, look, there's this new era that has dawned because I have arrived. God among you, Emmanuel. And I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You guys don't get that about the heart of my Father. I take delight in giving mercy. I'm not interested in giving people what they deserve. I'm interested in giving them what they do not deserve. You condemn the innocent because you have not truly encountered my Father's mercy. Sabbath was supposed to be a delight, not a duty. It was supposed to be a get-to, not a have-to. They couldn't see the love and mercy of God, and they couldn't see God right in front of them. And Jesus says, look, these priests, they're not guilty. They're innocent. But you're condemning the innocent right in front of you. You don't see that they are innocent too. That makes sense. All of this will then make sense of why Jesus will say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the climax of what Sabbath was supposed to be about. He's standing in front of you. I'm the master of rest. That's why I can invite you to come to me and promise you rest. I'm the sovereign king of rest. I'm the most restful and rested being in all of the cosmos. That is why I can give you rest if you come to me. They missed this real gift that God wants to give to his people. And see, the thing that I was reflecting on this week is what makes Sabbath now different than what it would have been in the first century, in the Old Covenant. Is that the Old Covenant, it all pointed to this thing of what Moses would have seen what the temple was supposed to be like, and he builds a temple or has these instructions for what that temple is supposed to be like, and the Lord's people build it up. But it was supposed to be like a shadow, a thing pointing to it. And now what Jesus says is like, I am God among you. And anyone who puts their trust in me and abides in me, I will abide in them. And later on, we read in the New Testament that God makes his home, his dwelling place, no longer in a building, but among his people. And that's what changes in Sabbath, is that we actually have God with us. We have access to him. 
in those days, the Israelites couldn't access the very presence, the most holy of holy places. Only once a year, the most high priest would get to do that. Nobody else got to do that. But now, because Christ has fulfilled what the Old Testament was all pointing to, we get to enter into that place and have access through him. That's why you can be walking and doing work and still pleasing the Father, experiencing his presence, experiencing rest. Because it's not supposed to be this rigid, rigid thing. If you come to me, I will give you rest. And so what I think we need to do is embrace this gift of rest, but not in the way we see entirely there. We need to rest with Jesus. Embrace the gift of Sabbath and rest with Jesus. Following Jesus means we, there's this whole new way of living that we learn. That's what he promises us in Matthew 11. Come to me. Learn from me. The way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases it, he'll say, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Let me show you what it is like to know my Father and walk with me, to live this life where you experience true, real rest, to experience the love, care, and mercy of my Father the way I have enjoyed it from before the foundation of the world. See, the point of Sabbath is not just to stop, but to make ourselves available to Jesus by resting in him, with him, delighting in his creation with him, worshiping him so that we can receive that, receive his tender hearted kindness towards you. It's not something we have to rigidly follow, but it's something we get to do. Look at the disciples. They're walking in a grain field, picking food. They're with him. So what, what are ways we could begin to try to bring this into our lives? Well, I want to just offer, for those of you who haven't tried this, I wanted to just give you a really simple, kind of clear way to try this. And I'm drawing this from um, John Mark Homer's book, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He's got this whole section on rest and, and Sabbath. And so uh, that's where I'm getting this. And so first thing we could try to do is, is if we're like, yeah, I want to try this. I want to try to rest with you. One way we could do this is by picking a 24-hour period to rest and worship. Or as close as you can. Some of us have shift work, and that doesn't allow you to do that. Pick a day. It doesn't have to be a Saturday or Sunday. Pick a 24-hour period of time. And pick a ritual that you want to have that marks the beginning of it and the end of it. It could be lighting a candle. It could be, um, if you have roommates, all of you, just talk about something you're thankful for that happened that week. Um, it could be something you guys just appreciate in the people in your lives, and you just um, affirm them and, and encourage them. It could just be toasting to God's goodness and making it through the week. The ritual uh, can be a special meal that you start if you want to go like sundown. You can do it like that. Um, and one of the things you'll want to try to do is actually communicate with the people that need to know or who might be doing it with you just so you don't say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And then they have this kind of tension. Just like, hey, I'm just having, a, I'm, I'm planning to do this. I wanted to let you know about it. Here's a traditional picture of what it could do. This is not a to-do list. It just could be helpful to have some ideas of things that people have found restful and life-giving. You could start Sabbath by choosing to light a candle as a, as a marker. You, could, you would see uh, traditionally the, uh, the father blessing his children and his spouse. It could be uh, one of the things that we did this week. We, we would try it out just sharing what we love about the other person at the table. What do we love about the other person? Eating a meal can be singing 
worshiping with your community, walking, napping, reading, spending time alone with God, or if you have kids, you'll know this is much harder to do. Um, so one thing we try to do if you have kids is we try to give each other an hour alone to try to have that time. Uh, spending time with your friends and family, then giving thanks to God. And uh, it will look different for every person depending on stage of life and a number of other factors. But figure out what will make Sabbath worshipful and restful for you. And one way you could try to do this is actually just saying three things you want to avoid. I know that when I first tried this, I told Lindsay, I don't want to talk anything about schedule, about any like social commitments. I don't want to talk about any, I don't really want to make any decisions on that day, actually. I just want us to be able to just do the bare minimum. That was just me. Some of you are like, no, that, that stuff gives me energy. I love that. Well, don't talk to me on that day because I don't want to hear about those things. But that, that you got to find the things that you want to avoid. But also, maybe write out three things that make you come alive. One of the things about Sabbath is it's so easy in our culture to think about this as an individualistic thing. But it doesn't have to be. It can be a communal thing. And a great way to get into rhythm is actually to do it with others, to have a regular communal meal, to keep it restful and maybe just divide up the labor. Each person can just bring one item, and everyone cleans together with lots of conversation in between. It doesn't have to be this thing where you're like, I'm doing it by myself, nobody talk to me. Secondly, Choose a prep day so that Sabbath is actually restful. Make a plan for the things that you know you need to do before that day of rest. Could, uh, the errands, the emails, maybe grocery shopping or bills. Do that hard work of prep all over the day so that you can actually have a true day. And one of the things you might want to consider is just choosing meals that are very simple to make. Soups, salads, bowls. You can clean your house. In my home, we try to make Friday the day that we clean and we make the kids participate. We're training them up so one day they do all of it, but they don't know that yet. So we add, we add, we're adding things. So they know how to do the toilets. They know how to do the bathrooms. We're bringing them, going to train them up into the dishwasher loading, and then we've got to teach them how to unload it. So we're getting there. But whatever that is, you want to find those things of what you want to do before so that you can actually enjoy it. Some of you cannot rest if your house is a disaster. Some of you could not care less if it was. So it's finding that, right? One thing that can be helpful is just deciding in advance what you want to do. Not with like set times, but what are things that matter to you that you want to do on that day? Choose one thing that would make that day special. I heard of this one person who tries to do, uh, he calls it like pleasure stacking. It's doing things that just absolutely bring life on that one day. So it could be like they love donuts and they love certain types of coffee or whatever, and they just go and do those things on that day. And it's a day of enjoying the goodness. It's not about being perfect on Sabbath. It's about enjoying being, not doing, or what could be. And there's so much room here to learn and grow. Sometimes we expect ourselves to be perfect and figure out what works, and that's not how Jesus is. He, Jesus is gracious. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace, and you do it with me. Third, and this is a, one for our time, is aim for a break from screens. Some people call this like a digital detox, and, and some of you have already lost you as soon as I said this. You're like, no, this is religious. How dare you? All I'm saying is try it out. 
I have a friend who, um, up until maybe two a year or two ago, just purposefully had a, like a non-smartphone, just a little flip phone, because uh, they didn't see the need in it, and they also wanted to be able to focus on what they, the tasks they needed to do. And I talked to them recently, because they have a smartphone now, and I'm like, oh, like, did you feel like any impact on the difference in your ability to focus and be present? Like, yeah, it is much harder with the smartphone relative to not having that. And I've experienced that, is how, how um, hard it is to be present when we always have our phones, and our phones do so, mo- so much for us. And so that's why for one day, give yourself that break. If you uh, say you're not addicted, you're lying to yourself, you need help. And um, Sabbath is an opportunity for you to try that, to realize how uh, much you struggle with it. You're not committed in your life to this. You're just testing it out. What I'd say is if you're open to this, try this out for four, for four Sabbaths and see what happens. One of the biggest pluses of doing this on that day would be this increased capacity to encounter God and one another in rest. And you can just decide how you want to do this. It might just be, I'm not going to touch social, but I will actually use my phone to call someone I love and care about. Um, you can use wisdom about how you want to start it. Maybe you just want to check your phone maybe three times that day, and that's it. Find what works for you. The reality is most of us, though, struggle with our phones. They're designed to be addictive, and so we can't actually wing this part. We, ha- we need to be intentional about how we want to do that. If after a month of trying this out, you don't notice an increase of love, joy, peace in your spiritual life, then try something else. It's not like you have to commit to this forever. But the point is to be available to Jesus by resting with him, delighting in his creation, and worshiping him so that you can receive his mercy. And fourth, consider choosing three points to connect with Jesus. It's not just about stopping not just about resting, although those matter. There's this aspect of worship or connecting with Jesus. We seek to connect with him, and uh, one of the ways that you could do this is by choosing, say, the morning as one time and the evening as another time, or morning and afternoon. You can start it in the morning just seeking to be aware of his presence and his love. One of the things that could be helpful for you is starting first thing in the morning by just giving thanks for the things that come to mind thanking him for the past week or whatever it might be. And then as you end your day, give thanks for the things you got to experience. But where were the moments where you're like, I just felt so alive in that moment. I felt like that was so life-giving. I felt like that just filled me with your joy and giving thanks so so that your day is bookmarked with these moments of gratitude and praise to him. In the middle of the day, you might want to consider something like reading scripture or uh, listening to his voice over your life, having a moment of silence, going for a prayer walk, reading a psalm. Maybe it's actually singing and worshiping in that way. One of the reasons why I think this can be valuable for us as his people is because we live in a time where it's so much harder for us to stop. There's so many different things that vie for our attention. Some things that are good and we got to be responsible for, and other things that we over-prioritize. They might be important, but they're not urgent, and yet we treat them like they're urgent. And then all of a sudden, we're exhausted and weary and disappointed in ourselves because a part of us kind of knew they weren't urgent, but we wanted something to do. 
And what Jesus wants to teach his people is to walk with him in such a way where they discover rest, the rest that he makes available. And what I love about this passage that we look at this morning is what happens as his disciples walk with him on this day of Sabbath and what you see Jesus, the Lord of Sabbath, doing. See, if we begin to practice Sabbath with him, if you begin to embrace this gift of resting with him, something remarkable happens. Look at what we see in the passage. If you go back to it, if you have it in front of you, look at the things in verse 1. Jesus is leading his disciples into that grain field. He is supplying the needs of his disciples. You will discover how Jesus shows you his mercy if you do this. He will supply your needs. He makes sure his disciples get the food they need. One of the things you'll also see, though, is that Jesus will defend you against your accusers. The disciples are following Jesus. They're wanting to obey him. They're making him the object of what they consider success is we're following you and your ways, Jesus. So they follow him, and what happens? Someone comes out and accuses them. Look at these guys. They're not being faithful. They don't know what they're doing. They're in sin. They're guilty. And Jesus is the one who goes up to bat for them. They don't even say anything. And I think it, it, there, there is a picture here of what Jesus does for all of his disciples. This is what the gospel proclaims, that Jesus lived the life we should have lived, that died the death we should have died. And now he intercedes on our behalf, that he has risen to new life, and he defends us. He has conquered and defeated our greatest enemies, our sin, Satan, and death. None of those things have any claim on our lives because we put our trust in him. Your past doesn't hold a claim over your life. And on that day, we get to remind ourselves of that truth. That God has actually already done it. That we don't have to earn his affection in any way. We receive it in faith. We don't have to earn our salvation, our holiness that is given to us by Jesus. The third thing we see him do in this picture, these accounts, is he's restoring people's bodies. See, Jesus will restore your body, your soul, your emotions, and mind. We tend to separate all those things as discrete individual things, but the scriptures show us how Jesus, when he brings salvation, there's healing of the body, the heart, of our sin, of our brokenness, of our mind. There's this restoration that he brings. And he's doing this on the Sabbath. And he does, number four, good. We will see him do good. When God does his good, it's always restorative because our world, he created it good, he said it was good, and now it's been marred by sin and evil. It's broken, and what Jesus does is he wants us to enter into and experience how he restores. It's always restorative for you and for others. And so the question for you and I is, will we trust him enough to give him a day of our week to rest with him? Because he doesn't simply want to hear, he doesn't want you to simply hear about this. Or learn about it. He wants you to experience how gentle, how lowly, just how merciful he really is. So, Father in heaven, we come to you now. And we believe that you are the source of life. That you sent your son 
to make known to us the paths of life, the way of life you want and created us and redeemed us for. And so we pray that you would help us by your spirit to translate this invitation that you have given us to come and rest with you and learn from you so that we might be the people you created us to be, so that we might be the people who, as we trust in you and rest with you, experience your provision, so that we could experience how you come and defend us from our accusers, from our enemy, from our sin, from our past, from all of those things. We get to rest in what you have done for us in the cross, how you have come to heal and restore us. And we know that all the time there's different wounds and disappointments both physical and emotional ones that we carry. And you want us, Lord, to come to you and experience what you have, what you make available. You can heal and restore us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would lead us in bringing this into our life, being a people who walk at a pace that hears from you and is led by you, empowered by you. You created us, Jesus, to know you and embrace your way. Lead us this week, this month, this year in being a people who walk with you in it, who follow you and trust you in it, we pray in your name. Amen. We're going to take part in communion.